We uh, were nearing the end. Uh, This is our final week in a short sermon series that was really birthed out of my quiet time with God and things that He was convicting me of. So I wanted to convict you because I got tired of being convicted. Uh, The sermon series we've entitled Weighing Our Words as we've walked through the book of Proverbs and now our fourth week. And I know God has certainly convicted me deeply and I'm seeking the Spirit's help to change in these areas. If you're here for the first time or if you've kind of been in and out in this series, just a real quick recap of where we've been to know where we're going. In the very beginning, we talked in Proverbs 17 about learning to restrain our words and how our words are not always helpful. And it's sometimes the righteous who learn to restrain and share things that are useful and hold back things that aren't. Then two weeks ago in Proverbs 26, we talked about the words of a whisperer, someone who is a gossiper and how damaging those words can be and yet how delicious they are to the human ear, how we're constantly seeking to hear gossip and how they need to be silenced and not swallowed. Uh, Then we talked last week in Proverbs 12 about the tongue of the wise and how wise words bring healing of grace instead of uh, words of all truth and no grace that don't heal or all grace and no truth that don't last. I've heard a lot of you say that you have been using this sermon to get back at your own spouses this week. That's not what the Bible's for, all right? Uh, But it's a good reminder to all of us that it's hard, isn't it? When you consciously think, am I sharing grace and truth at the same time? A lot of times we're going to look at our own personalities, our own upbringings, and our own convictions, and we're going to lean too far on one side or the other of grace and truth. We need to pray for God's Spirit to help us to have a balance. So if we've talked about restraining words and gossiping words and words of grace and truth, we're going to close it out here this morning talking about words of death and life. In fact, the title of our message here this morning is The Fruit of a Man's Mouth. The fruit of a man's mouth, as we'll be in Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 through 21. And ladies, before you think you're off the hook here, I'm using that word man the way the Bible does, speaking of mankind and not men. So this includes you as well. All right, you're not going to squirm out of this one. This is all of us, mankind. We're going to be talking about uh, what it is that we as human beings do when we speak and how we collect a harvest of either death or life by the words that we speak by the words that we speak. And I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the series, but I want to mention it again, and I want you to stop and think about this for a second. All right, so most of us, when we read the Bible, right, so we say, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. We start in January in Genesis. A lot of us burn out before we get to Leviticus, right? But Genesis is the time, typically we're all on fire, and we get in Genesis 1, and we read how God creates the earth, and we see that He spoke the world into existence. He said Let there be light, and there was light. And then we see at the end of the sixth day that God created human beings, and He said it was very good. Now, what makes us different, the crown jewel of His creation, those who are quote-unquote made in His image, what makes us different than the rest of the world? I'd say one of the ways that we're different is the power of the spoken word that He has given to human beings. Now, we don't have divine power, okay? I can say, let there be light. And unless Reamer McGowan changed the uh, light bulb, there will not be light, okay? I do not have that much power to change light in my own abilities. So God has given us a limitation to our power of the spoken word, but we, has, we still have more power than we could ever imagine by the words that we speak. I said this in week one of this series. One of the greatest lies that your parents ever told you 
was that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words can kill you. Words can destroy you. Or words can give you new life. It is unspeakable the power that God has given us through our words. You know, I've been greatly blessed with the privilege last year to teach an oral communication class at the Guido Bible College, giving back to the school that gave so much to me. And uh, I I tried to spend a, a decent amount of time in the first class just talking about what the Bible has to say about the spoken word and why God puts so much emphasis on it because it changes eternity. Our words are so powerful. We take them for granted. So I want you to think for just a moment about the impact that other people's words have had on your life. Because throughout the course of this uh, sermon, I'm going to be giving you parts of testimony of my own life. And I want to encourage you to think about how words have impacted you both to the good and to the not so good. Because all of you sitting in the pews here this morning at the sound of my voice, you're a product of how you have received spoken words throughout the course of your life. That's how powerful they are. Now, you know, for whatever reason this morning uh, in my office, I was just thinking through this and thinking of people that have influenced my life and the direction that my life has taken now as soon to be 39 years old. And I know I've shared this as part of my testimony. Most of you have heard this at some point. There was a human being in my life prior to knowing Jesus Christ who had tremendous impact on my life through his words. And that was the legendary voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, Harry Callis. Now, before you Braves fans roll your eyeballs, this has nothing to do with baseball itself. It has a lot to do more with how God used that man's voice and his words to touch my soul before I had a Savior that I knew. You know, when I was a child, I would turn on the Phillies game and There was a time in my life where I didn't know which parent I was going to live with. My parents divorced when I was 12, and I lived with my mom, and then I lived with my dad, and then I lived with my mom again, and life was pretty unstable. But God used the deep, booming, soothing, baritone voice of Harry Callis to minister to me with hope that there was something unchanging in a world around me that constantly was. When I got a little bit older in my high school years, God used the soothing sounds of Harry Callis to help me get over my high school heartbreaks. Right? We all remember those days. Not fun. Wouldn't want to go back to those. And then I even remember this in college. I'll never forget this. So 9-11 took place right before I graduated from Georgia Southern. And I remember the week after 9-11 and all of us are trying to put the pieces back together of the future of our country and what to, you know, what's this Al-Qaeda and, and who's Osama bin Laden and what does this mean? And I, I just, my world was just kind of spinning in circles. And I, I was on the phone with my dad, and he said, Bobo, you need some Harry Callis in your life. And he took the phone, and he, he, uh, he put it to the speaker. And for 20 minutes, I just listened to this voice. It wasn't about the game. It wasn't about the, the wins and the losses. It wasn't about the balls and the strikes. God used that deep, booming, calming, consistent voice to speak into my world of chaos. But praise God, at 27 years old, I came to know Jesus. And it is His Word now that brings a calm and a consistency in a world of brokenness and chaos. But here's the deal. 
whether or not you know Jesus Christ, the people that you minister to every single day, whether they're in, they're in your family, they're in your workplace, they're in the community, either A, they know Jesus and you represent to them who He is, or they don't know Jesus and you're the only thing they have. And you can minister to them with your words. You can minister to them with your words. That's what Harry Callis taught me about the power of words. In fact, I was so influenced by that, I decided that I was going to be a sportscaster the rest of my life. All I wanted to do was to be that constant voice on the other side of the radio that no matter what was happening, you could turn on the radio, and at the same time, every single night, I'd be there. And God let me achieve that dream to some degree for the first six years of my professional career, uh, but he had other options for my life. But I, I just, I, when I think about words, I think about... Someone who I did not even know. I, never, I met him one time. His words profoundly touched my soul because of the words that he spoke were always filled with hope and encouragement and they were consistent. And so let us think even on eternal scales how it is that our words can be used to glorify God. Here's the, here's the big idea of our message as we look at Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 through 21 in one sentence. The fruit of a man's mouth will yield a harvest that either tears down or builds up God's kingdom. The fruit of a man's mouth will yield a harvest that either tears down or builds up God's kingdom. This is the power of our words. And we're going to be looking through this again as we turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verses 20 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 642 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, Head of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. We are in Proverbs chapter 18, and we will be reading verses 20 and 21. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 20. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's pray. Lord, I am inadequate in my own words to describe the influence that you have given us in spoken words as human beings made in your image. Father, we don't have a lot of time but the time that we do have, I just pray that you would help our minds to focus and our hearts to be open to receive this truth that the words that we speak can and will change eternity. Would you be with us here this morning and let us just receive your word and be able to respond to it in repentance in faith with the words that we speak moving forward. Be with us now, we pray, in the name of your Son, the eternal word, Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, as we're drawing to a close here in the series, and we've talked about all these different types of words, as we jump into the text in verse 20, we see right out of the chute that are the words of our mouth, and then, of course, the condition of our heart are always connected. I've been trying to say this for a couple weeks now. The heart and the mouth, you cannot separate the two of them. They will always be connected, always. In verse 20, it says, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. 
He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. The stomach is another way to talk about the depth of the soul, that as we speak, our heart and our mouth are connected. That's why it says in Psalm 19 that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I said Jesus himself says it in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I do want to say now, and I'll say it again at the end of our time together, and I've been saying it the whole sermon series. This is not a sermon series on do better. Now you know your words have meaning. Go out and make them work. Well, yes, we want you to make an effort, but if your heart doesn't change, your words never will. You have no ability in your own power to change your own heart. The only ability you have is to present that heart to the Lord and say, God, change me. Change me from the inside out so that my heart will change and then my words will begin to reflect a changed heart. This is what God does. A lot of times we think that Christianity is getting saved and getting out of the bad place so that we can go to the good place. Well, that's the result of being saved. But that lifelong process of working out our salvation with fear and trembling, that's the work of the Holy Spirit where He changes our heart. And one of the evidences that our heart is changed are the words that come out of our mouth. If we're Christian, our, our words ought to sound different than those who are not Christian. So I want us to, as we look at verse 21, just look at two distinct harvests that the fruit of a man's mouth will yield. Okay, right out of the text in verse 21. The fruit of a man's mouth will yield, number one, a harvest of death and destruction. A harvest of death and destruction. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Well, I want to start with the death being in the power of the tongue. When you speak words of death, you can create pain and separation and utter destruction of a person's life. It is impossible for any of you in this room, no matter how old you are, to say that you went this entire time in your life without someone's words deeply hurting you. We can all think of moments where somebody's words touched us at our very core and changed us in not a good way. All of us can think that way. We could even look at the past maybe month of our life and say that someone spoke a word about us or most, most prominently directly to us and it touched us at a soul level in a way that hurts, in a way that leaves marks, in a way that scars. This is what the tongue can do. And a harvest of death comes in, in many different forms. So I want to talk about these different forms of death. The first is negativity. Negativity is, is when your reaction to one points out what is wrong and what needs to be fixed before you say anything else. If that's naturally how you speak and how you are, you always see the wrong and always see what needs to be fixed. You're always speaking words of death. Another's criticism. Your attitude always focuses on what is weak instead of what is strong. Another one is slander. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with the words of a whisperer. Your motive is one to tear someone's reputation and character down so that you can build your own up because of your insecurity. And then the last one goes back to what we talked about last week. When you speak words of truth without grace, they could be words of death. All right? When, you, when your approach is to share truth without any portion of grace, if you're saying, what I'm telling you is right, so I don't care what you think because I'm going to tell it like it is. 
You can tell it like it is and what you're saying be actually true and yet God still sees your words as words of death because there's no grace and the human being you're speaking to can't bear the weight of it. That's someone who's all truth and no grace. And we can't carry that weight. And when we received words of negativity or criticism or slander or truth without grace, it has eternal influence in our lives. You know, I one time heard a person say that our life is based on what we experience in our childhood, and then we as adults just try to get over everything we've experienced in our childhood. You know, that the first 10 to 15 years of your life are so formative, and the rest of your life you're trying to get over what you experienced in your first 15 years. Why is that? Because in your first 15 years, you acquired words of death and words of life, and now you're trying to figure all that out. And I am, I am hyper aware of this as the father of a young, uh, young daughter. I see how she receives every word that I say or my wife says or other people say, and she's making out what, what those words are all about. All right? Uh, and I think back to the things that I heard as a child. Now, mo- all of us could stand up and say that we are who we are in part because of the family that we came from, both for good and for bad, right? Uh, my, my mom laughs about this now. It's really not funny, to be honest with you, but she's, she says that she's the one responsible for making me a perfectionist. Because there was a time in my life where nothing was ever good enough. And so I began to understand that my worth and my value and my identity came in my performance. That what I did had to be perfect. It had to have a polish on it. Now, as, uh, you know, as a 38-year-old man, my mom and I laugh about that now. But it's hard for me to get past those old ideas. Because guess what? My identity is in Christ who is perfect. It's not in my own work. It's not in my own performance. It's in Christ. And I know that here. But I often forget it here because words of death found their way into my heart at a young age and it's been really a lot of work for the Holy Spirit to begin to purge me of that. Well, the same is true for you. There are some of you that you heard at a young age that you're only valuable according to your work ethic. And so you took something good like working hard and you made a God out of it. And so some of you have to work 70, 80, 90 hour weeks and you've got to perform, perform, perform. And if you do that, that proves your worth and that proves your value because somewhere you heard those words of death and they touched your soul at a young age. I see it all the time. It is amazing how these words will touch us. And it is amazing, if we're not careful, how our words will touch other people the same way. All right, some of you in this room are teachers and administrators. Some of you are business owners. Many of you are parents and grandparents. And even if you are young in this room, maybe you have siblings. And God has given you a sphere of influence. It doesn't matter. All of us are influential in some way. And the words that we use, they could forever change the course of direction for another human being. It's a lot of weight of responsibility. That's why I said back in the week one of the sermon series that if we speak an average of 20,000 words a day, God says we're going to be judged on every careless word because those words have changed people's lives. We should feel the weight of that. That is the fruit of a man's mouth that will yield a harvest of death and destruction. Now let me look on the other side, the side that Toby Mack was singing about during our offering. Number two, the fruit of a man's mouth will yield a harvest of life and renewal. Listen to the same verse, but listen to it from the coin, the other side of the coin of life instead of death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. What about speaking words of life? 
a harvest of life that's produced by the power of the tongue. Toby Mack says you speak life into the deadest, darkest night. How many times in your life on the other side were you you down in the dumps on something and one word lifted you out? A single word from another soul all of a sudden just pulled you right out of the ditch. You know why that is? Because of the power of God's of God giving us the spoken word. It's amazing how impactful words can be both to the bad, but now we look to the good. The Bible has a lot to say about words of life. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, it says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. It's a tree of life. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Tree and fountain, renewal and growth and life. I want you to think in your own life right now of how someone said one thing to you and it changed the whole course of direction in your life. Maybe for a day, maybe for eternity. I can tell you that uh, God has blessed me and cursed me with a sensitive soul. I love easily and I bruise easily. And those who are closest to me know this. Okay, I'm not, It's something that uh, is, can be actually embarrassing sometimes. Uh, Dave and Jody will tell you that I'll hide in my office if I'm struggling with something because I don't want my sensitivity to rub off on them. And, and Ashley will tell you that I can be high and low in one day. I can be way up here. I can be way down there in the same day. It's just how I'm wired. But I can think in my life at times, even since I've been a pastor, where I've spent a full day of being criticized for decisions I've made. That's just part of the job description, right? And I just, I just be wounded and I just say, Lord, I just yearn for somebody to be tender to me for a moment. And when you know it, someone in this church will say one word, and it will change my whole week. You know, I, I wish I could say that I'm not that susceptible to this. But the fact of the matter is, that's how I'm wired. And many of you are the same way. One word, a single word can change everything. You know, I began to think uh, of, of ways in which my life has been changed by a single word. And some of these words have been... You know, when we talk about words of life, some of them are words of encouragement, some are God-centered affirmation, and some are grace-filled truth. So let me go back to the first one, encouragement. When you speak words of life, your reaction to one is to encourage someone to do something that will glorify God and bless others. When you speak words of life, you'll speak God-centered affirmation. Let me talk about what that means. Your attitude is one that seeks to affirm God's gifting and God's work in a person's life. This glorifies God, but also blesses the person. Uh, I, I read a book a couple of years ago because I always was confused about this. If pride is one of the sins that we struggle with the most, right? Pride is what leads to the fall. And we, if we affirm someone, we could lead them to being prideful. Then how can we bless someone in a way that still glorifies God? Well, here's the answer. According to this book I read, the book is called Practicing Affirmation, and the subheading is God-Centered Praise for Those Who Aren't God. So the way that you can affirm someone and not steal glory from God is to affirm what God is doing in their life. Affirm the gifting that God has given them and affirm how you see God working in their life, that will bless the person, but that will also still give the glory and the honor to God. All right, sometimes when I preach, if I'm shaking hands at the end and someone will say, that sermon really ministered to me, that blesses me that God would let me take a part in that, but all glory and honor belong to the Father because He doesn't need me. He could use anybody to do the same thing. 
So you see, when we're God-centered in our affirmation, we're speaking words of life. And that is one thing as a Christian we should be doing. Let me, let me encourage you with some practical application here. You want to know how it is that you can truly bless somebody with your words. In the next week, here's what, here's what you should do. Watch someone's life and look for evidence that God is at work and call it out. Hey, you know, I, I've noticed that you're doing this lately. And I just want to praise God that I can see He's really working in your life. Or, you know, you did a great job on that. God has just really gifted you in this area. Again, you're not trying to stir up their pride. You're blessing them, and they should feel grateful that God is using them, but all the praise go to God. That's speaking words of life. Words of life. And then grace-filled truth, okay? We're not not lying to people to make them feel good about who they are. We're speaking words of truth, but we're, we're using grace at all times. Grace in the words that we choose, at the time that we choose to speak them, and in the tone in which we choose to speak them. Because truth without grace is saying whatever you want at any time you want, in any place you want. As long as it's right, it has to be honored by God. And the answer is no, it must have grace if you want God to honor it. You know, and I'll just give a a testimony of individual words that changed my life. Words that impact me today. One of the first people I think of uh, is a gentleman named Zach Beirudi. Zach was a college intern at Northeastern in Boston, Massachusetts, and I hired him to be my assistant when I worked in professional baseball out in California. And so my job for a full year was to train him on working in professional sports. Now, when I hired him, he was a, uh, a journalist. He was an intern for the Boston Globe And all he wanted to do was write articles and work with the media. And about the first month that I was there, I noticed that he had a gift for speaking. And I said to Zach, I said, Zach, you're called to be a broadcaster. I know you are. He said, Bo, I don't know the first thing about being a broadcaster. I said, well, school's in session. And so we started off in the first week of April, and he sat in the broadcast booth with me with his microphone turned off, and he just listened, and he just listened, and then he he got on the air with me as my color commentator for about another month and a half. And then one day, in the middle of May, I just remember we were in a series in Modesto, California, and I got up from my chair, and I took my headset off, and he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the bathroom. He said, we're back on the air in, in three seconds. I said, no, you're on the air in three seconds. And he looked at me and said, I can't, I can't, I can't. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back here in the third inning. And I stood there like a proud father in in the doorway, and I watched him. I watched him take off. And later that year, I I resigned and came back to the East Coast. I I learned that California wasn't for me. I'll never forget what he said. It changed my life forever. I was telling him, I said, you know, Zach, I'm going back to work in baseball on the East Coast, but I just don't know what God's doing in my future. And he said, Bo, you you may broadcast or you may not broadcast, but that's not your calling. I said, well, what's my calling? Then he said, you're a teacher. He said, what you did this year more than anything else is you taught, and that's what you're called to do is be a teacher. And when I moved back to the East Coast, I started praying about what God would, I never in a million years thought I'd be in the pastoral, uh, in the pastorate. Never did I think about being a pastor. Uh, But he put that seed in my heart that that was God's calling on my life, and God has used that in every stage from there till today. If he hadn't said that, who knows where I'd be today? I wouldn't have the confidence back uh, nine or ten years ago at Grace Community Church to volunteer to teach a Sunday school class and then come to this church and volunteer to teach the youth and then go to seminary and train to teach the congregation. Uh, I never would have done it if he hadn't spoke those words, but he did. 
Later on, God used another man, Ronald Cardell. First time someone ever even suggested that I would be a pastor. Brother Ronald, I don't know if you remember this, it was a brotherhood night. And we got done brotherhood, this was back when I was youth pastor, and we were in the parking lot, and he said, uh, Bo? <laughs> he said, uh, you ever think about being a pastor? And I said, never crossed my mind. He said, well, I think you'd be a good one. And I said, well, I appreciate the compliment, but that's just not God's calling on my life. But when I got to seminary, that seed had been planted. And I began to think, maybe God has called me to this. And then when I got here and interviewed with the search committee after I told them no because I was scared to death, it was Ronald Cardell who said to me, wherever you go, we'll follow you. Words of life. You know, and the last one I'll say, you know, I throw my mother under the bus for making me a perfectionist, but I want to give her some credit in one area. When I was in grade school, I was not a great student, but there was one area that I would continue to do well in, and that was writing. And my mother used to cut out uh, these articles from these magazines for writing contests, and she'd put them on my bed with a sticky note that said, you're a writer, so write. And you know what? To this very day, it drives, I know it drives people in the office nuts. When I do something, I have to fully write it out. Because I'm, when I'm sitting down and writing, I, I feel like I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm called to write. It's who I am. Teach and write. And I would never have known that had someone not spoken those words to me and affirmed a calling on my life. Well, guess what? In your life right now, A, you're where you are because people affirmed a calling in you. And there's other people right now that need you to affirm that in them. You need to look at their lives and you need to say, what's God doing in their life? How's God gifted them in their life? And sit them down and pour words of life into their soul. Love them and bless them and tell them, I see God's work in your life. I see that you're gifted in this area. I want to encourage you that I'm so excited God has blessed you in such a mighty way. That does not rob God of glory. That glorifies God to the maximum because his name is made great, but the person made in his image is blessed. That's how it works. That's how it works. And we can do that with the spoken word. We can change a person's eternity. Remember this. I said this in week one of the sermon series. God gave you a mouth and a tongue primarily for two reasons, to glorify God and bless other people. Glorify God. We praise Him. We honor Him. We use our tongue to, to call out how great He is and then bless other people. Call out what great things He's doing in people's lives. This is how we do that with words of death and words of life. So how do I sum this up? Simply put in one sentence, I'd say this. The fruit of a man's mouth will either deny or exalt Christ who alone has the words of eternal life. Alone has the words of eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 68. Here's the context in John 6. So in John chapter 6, Jesus is telling people what they must do to have eternal life. And here's what he says. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in the kingdom of God. And all the Pharisees and everyone were like, whoa, what in the world does that mean? I've got to be a cannibal to join the kingdom. I've got to eat your body and drink your blood. This guy's weird. And, and people were just walking away and walking away and walking away. They didn't understand, obviously, what he meant. All right? They didn't know about his, his, uh, his body and his blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary. But as everyone was leaving, he looked at the disciples and said, you want to join them? Huh? You want to follow them? They don't want to eat my body and drink my blood, do you? And Simon Peter said this, 
in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Here's the thing about Jesus. He had the words of eternal life because he is the word of eternal life. Not only did he have the words of eternal life, so the, the disciples followed him for three years in public ministry and they heard him speak words that would reach down and touch people's soul. They knew that there was something different about him. And eventually, as the Holy Spirit of God revealed it first to Peter and then to others, they realized, in fact, he was the Son of God, the Messiah. He spoke words of eternal life, but that's because he himself is the word of eternal life. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus is the ultimate spoken word of life, both in what he said, but also in who he is. And so that means when you speak words of life, when you speak grace-filled truth, when you speak God-centered affirmation, what you're doing is you're speaking Jesus. You're speaking Jesus to other people, either A, who don't know him and need him, or B, who do know him and still need him. You're representing Jesus Christ with your mouth. And that is what we're called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, this community needs it desperately. They need it in the classroom. They need it in the workplace. They need it in the community. They need it in the home. We need to hear and see Jesus Christ. And we can represent him with our tongue in speaking words of life. In speaking words of life. So as we enter into a time of invitation, all right, this draws to a close our our four-week series. So my invitation, not only for this message, but for our whole series of weighing our words is this. I hope all of us have listened as the Spirit of God has convicted us about ways that we could use our words in a different way. Again, let me say what I said in the beginning. This is not a sermon series of now go do better. There's no power in that. Even a non-Christian could say, watch your mouth, right? But how powerful is that? On the other hand, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you seek the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're willing to repent, where you're speaking words that are all grace and no truth, or all truth and no grace, or words of death instead of words of life, and you confess those and say, God, by your power, give me a tongue that represents Jesus Christ. He'll answer that prayer. Now, it's not a prayer that we pray once. It's a prayer that we pray every day because we will fail. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness so that we can go back and get up again and speak words of life. So, for those of you in this room that do not know Jesus Christ, you, you will have no ability to change without the Spirit of God living inside of you. And Jesus, who himself is the eternal word, says this, I am holy, and you are not. And I desire for you to be with me, but because of my holiness, you cannot be unless your sins are atoned for. But I'm also loving, and I atone for your sins on the cross. So now believe in me. Confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved.
If you're willing to speak those words, you will have eternal life and you will receive the Holy Spirit today. But if you already have the Holy Spirit, maybe it's been a while since you let Him do His work. Ask Him. Ask Him to help you to use your tongue for words of life and you will know the true fruit of a man's mouth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in your wisdom and in your sovereignty that you decided to give human beings made in your image great responsibility and great power in the spoken word. We feel the weight of that responsibility. We know that we have failed and we pray that you would forgive us. But we pray now by the power of your spirit that you would take our tongue captive and open our hearts and our eyes to see where it is that you are at work in a person's life and help us to speak words of life to the deadest, darkest nights and watch people come alive by the power of your Spirit. May we consider the true weight of our words, and as we go out, let us in the power of the Spirit of God speak words that are necessary, speak words that are filled with grace and truth, and speak words that are filled with life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.